What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. Hello and welcome to a Wednesday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am joined by the guy who will be here just about every Wednesday because it's really the only night that nothing is going on in the NFL. It's a. It's the middle of the week. Wednesday night feels right for NFL stuff. Monday Night Football was a couple days ago. Thursday Night Football is the night after. This all works, so Pro Football Focus, the Chase Thomas Podcast. We were always meant to collide on a consistent basis, and Austin Gale is here once again. Austin, good evening. How are you? Doing great, man. What an intro. I really appreciate it. Happy to be on. I am a professional, Austin, as you're (laughs) becoming more and more aware of. All right, so there is a lot of good stuff going on because, you know, I have spent an inordinate amount of time listening to people and reading people talk about Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs and everything that he's doing, like the left-handed shovel pass, everything that he did on Monday night, bringing the Chiefs back in Denver, great comeback, all that kind of stuff. I don't want to talk about any of that because I think everybody else has talked about that and that is something that is just going to be a talking point all year and I'm already over it. We all know uh, he's good. And did you know this, Austin? Uh, he might be kind of like a new age Brett Favre. Have you heard that one yet? Yeah, it's kind of becoming a cliche just given how good he is. You know, leading the league in, in touchdowns and having no interceptions is just such a big box score number. I think everyone's taking over. It's an easy talking point. And I think you're only going to continue to see that for as long as these crazy numbers happen. Yeah, so you know who I'm more fascinated in? Maybe this is the contrarian in me. Is the Denver Broncos, who... Um, they they signed Case Keenum this offseason. They didn't go after Kirk Cousins. John Elway was never really into that idea. They failed in their Paxton Lynch development. They failed in the Brock Osweiler development. They they haven't found their post-Peyton Manning guy yet. And, you know, I was pretty bullish on them this offseason because I was like, I think this defense is going to be better. I think Joe Woods is still a good defensive coordinator. I, I don't think this is going to be the best defense in Denver in, like, the last five years. But it should be top ten in defensive DVOA. It should be around there. And they're close. Like, the defense is not bad. And they really did play Patrick Mahomes better than anybody else has this year until they fold in the fourth. And then I, like, dove into the numbers of Case Keenum and how this offense is working. Like, their offensive line is still, I I believe PFF has them in the top five uh, graded offensive line. So it's like you get all this together and they're two and two now. And you're looking at it and you're like, maybe they are just a 500 team and, like, Keenum has more picks than he does touchdowns and there's just something about everything going on here where I'm like I have no idea what to make of the Broncos and Austin I need you to clarify who are the Denver Broncos at this point in the season yeah and that's a great question you know Case Keenum was the big you know guy coming in was he gonna be good was he was he gonna be able to recreate what he did in Minnesota he had all the weapons there are Demary's Thomas good enough Daniel Sanders good enough but as you can see against the Chiefs, and I think this is important with Case Keenum just because of how good he played last year. He played well under pressure. When the guy's playing well under pressure, he's a good quarterback in this league. His career year in Minnesota was because he's so good under pressure. However, as our data analysts look at it, 
play under pressure is very volatile. It can be up and down year to year. It can be good one year and bad the next. Not it's not even close to as involatile as pass rating when kept clean. So him being good under pressure is just so important for this team. And it's gonna the Denver Broncos are gonna go as long as Keith Keenum can play under pressure. So what you're saying is it's actually a detriment that the Broncos have a good offensive line this year. No, no, not not actually a detriment that he has a good a good offensive line. It's that you know, regardless of how good your offensive line is, you're going to be facing pressure. You know, best sport, best offensive line still give up pressure, and the QB's decisions under pressure is so important. What do you make of this offense right now? Is this a good offense? Is this an offense that can get better? Is this an offense that doesn't know what they should be doing? Because it seems like a lot of the talking points coming out of this game was like, why weren't they running the ball more? Why aren't they trusting Philip Lindsay and uh, Royce Freeman more? They're at, I think they're second in the league in yards per carry at like 5.58. Like, they're, they have this great one-two tandem, and then you have Vance Joseph, who um, makes everybody who's a big fan of analytics very happy in saying that like you you run the ball when you're up, and uh, you pass. You got to score like to score in this league, you have to pass. And uh, Case Keenum, it seems like, is just really struggling on that front. And I don't know if it's just the weapons around him or or what. Or like, is there an offensive identity crisis in Denver? Or do you think this has just been? They lost to the teams they were supposed to lose to, and this is just kind of like a 500 team that just they don't have enough juice. Yeah, I think it's all you know. It's going to be determined by how that offense operates. I think you make great points in terms of when they trust their offensive line. That running those that running backs can be good, but again, it's going to be all up how Case Keenum plays. You know, if the life is in you know football is in the passing game right now, and if Case Keenum is a middling quarterback, but you know more you know more interceptions than touchdowns, it's going to be tough for them to go above 500. But if Keenum can keep you know improve his play and kind of show more what he had in minnesota that's going to be able to turn them into a wild card team do you think that's a possibility still at this point do you think this is is it just because the afc is so watered down but then again the afc north's really good the afc south looks like they have two teams like maybe it, it really is a situation where the broncos might be in the bottom half of uh, the weaker conference at this point i feel like that's where i'm at with them yeah, I still kind of have faith in, in that offensive line and Keenum being able to keep them in the mix enough and keep them in games enough to where they're going to be able to win late. But I do think, you know, now AFC teams are getting a little bit better. You know, Pittsburgh's always in it. Baltimore's looking like the lead there, but then also Cincinnati. That division alone could have the two wild card spots. It's, it's tough to say at this point, but I think, like, you know, like I've kind of been preaching, it's just Keenum has that ability in him to be a top quarterback, to take them above 500. It's just, can he show it? Can he show it consistently? And if he does, I think they're a team to look out for. Do you think that's coming? Is that what your your feeling is when you're watching the tape? Is this something that where it's like you can still see the scenario where it's like, okay, he just needs a couple things to go right and this offense will get back on track? Is it something where, like, how many weeks in before you're just like, ooh, uh, he needs to be better, or this was a bad investment, or they need another quarterback. I, I still think he needs a couple more weeks before you start to say bad investment. But if they roll into week seven, week eight with a sub five hundred record, and Kim is still not putting up the numbers he needs to put up to take this offense to the next level, that's when you already need to start thinking about yes, another quarterback. We might have made a bad decision. Even looking at this next year's draft for a quarterback. So they have to win a lot of games in the next couple of weeks. Uh, like if you look at the November, December slate, it's, it's rough for Denver because I don't think that this is a team that plays well on the road anyway. And they're going to New York, which it's, it's good to get the Like I would have rather had that at home maybe if I was uh, Denver, but either way, they're going on the road in New York, a team that's reeling, probably beat them. Then they get the Rams at home, probably a loss. 
at Arizona, uh, probably a win. I'll go with that. At Kansas City, loss. Houston at on November 4th. Maybe that's a situation where they're like, oh, we're fighting for our playoff lives. Then they go to the Chargers, Steelers at home, to Cincy, to San Francisco, which looked worse when Jimmy Garoppolo was playing. Browns at home, which is no guarantees, at Oakland, and then the Chargers at home. I go through that and I'm like, oh my God, they might go six and ten. <laughs> that's fair. I mean, you know, you bring up a lot of good points along the whole schedule. I guess it's tough. The tough the slate is tough ahead. And but I thought they showed a lot of promise, a lot of positive things in Kansas, you know, against Kansas City. I think if a couple plays go their way, I think they come out of that with that win. And I don't think we're even talking about, you know, talking about them going six to ten. If they come out with the W, a couple plays go their way, I think people are looking at them to possibly, you know, chase down the season. And I think the whole narrative shifts. Are you worried about Von Miller? It seems like people were worried that he was just absent, not involved in a lot. What are you seeing with Von Miller? Yeah, Von Miller has not had a great start to the season. I mean, you even had guys in the office looking at his grade after on Monday and not seeing it in the 90s. But is he okay? It's been kind of a big thing at CFF looking at Von Miller and how, you know, has he regressed? Is he not the same guy? And he went against a very good Mitchell Schwartz in that game. And I think Mitchell Schwartz has kind of had his number a lot in that rivalry that's been created in the AFC West. I am not willing to say because it's such a small sample size compared to just how good of a guy he is in years past that he's done, but it will be something we're keeping an eye on for sure. Okay. So we're not hitting the panic button yet. It's just like one of those things where it's like, he's still good. It's just, it's not elite level stuff right now. Yeah, I know, but just, he's been so good throughout his entire career to already Mm -hmm. start to look at Von Miller as a regressing in four games. It's such a limited sandwich. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick had two career high games and you look back at his average and he's obviously, turn back to that over these last two games. I think Von Miller could easily have that, but in the opposite direction. How surprised were you that Ryan Fitzpatrick was not a top five quarterback for the remainder of 2018? <laughs> not surprised in the slightest. I mean, it was fun mm-hmm. to watch. It was, it was definitely fun to watch. I, I, in, in myself, I kind of was rooting for him, but he knew he was going to regress to the mean, and his mean is a lot lower than, you know, most quarterbacks in the NFL. And he's a very high-risk quarterback. He's a guy that, you know, he's going to Throw the interception or throw the touchdown. He's kind of the opposite of what like a Marcus Mariota type is in terms of being conservative with ball, and that's a very good, you know, good tactic when you're hitting on those touchdowns and, and, and reducing those interceptions. But I think you knew he was going to come back to be the Fitzpatrick, not the Fitzmagic. So I want to touch on Baltimore and Cincinnati. Like Cincinnati obviously had a great win in Atlanta. Atlanta can't cover anybody. Jalen Richards, it turns out, might not be a better option than Eric Reed at safety. Who could have seen that coming? Demonte Kazee, who you're a big fan of. And I'm still pronouncing it Kazee because I will not move away from that. It's not KZ. It's Kazee. Sorry. Doing that going forward. Um, the Falcons secondary, they have nobody. Grady Jarrett's now out for like a month. So that's great. Um, just the defense is just a dumpster fire. It's not a great Atlanta year. Like it's it's over. One and three. They're not one of the division. The Saints are probably the second best team in the NFC at this point. The Panthers are good. It's just it's over. But the Bengals, very impressed. Tyler Boyd is an absolute monster. Like he had I, I was I mean, I'm one of those huge dorks that's always taking notes for everything I'm watching. And I like went through my notepad and I had like Tyler Boyd first down catch on third down, fourth down catch, first down. Like he was so good on big plays for them and he just does these quick outs and he's always open and then you have AJ Green with the game winning touchdown you they lose Tyler Eifert and it doesn't really phase them Bill Lazor man I'm laser focused on Bill Lazor he's figured it out he solved the Andy Dalton issue and I think like they didn't have Joe Mixon in this game it didn't matter like it's unbelievable how good this offense is and Andy Dalton is playing in a 
a crazy level. But then you look at the Baltimore Ravens who beat the Steelers on Monday night, and it was not really that close. And, like, that team is in great shape. John Brown is a great guy for them. Like, Crabtree's dropping a lot of balls, but it doesn't really matter because Joe Flacco is playing out of his mind. I can't determine whether or not I'm a bigger fan. Like, the Bengals were my pick before the season to win the AFC North. But I don't know, man. Jimmy Smith's coming back this week, and he's like one of the top 15 graded uh, cornerbacks um, in the league last year. And getting him back and Brandon Carr, who was stepping up and his – like it's just – I can't figure it out. Help me out, man. Is it the Ravens or is it the Bengals? Who are you a bigger believer in and why? I'm definitely a bigger believer in the Bengals. I mean, you saw it in their matchup, Bengals versus Ravens. But, you know, Ravens really didn't have an answer for all the talent that the Bengals haven't received. You speak to Tyler Boyd, A.J. Green, John Ross was having a, was having a good year up and down, but he, he flashed in that game as well. I think the Cincinnati Bengals are the option right now, but you cannot sleep on a Ravens team that is having good Joe Flacco play. He's actually playing well this year, and that's always been their inhibitor. And if he's going to play well, defense still has stars, like you mentioned. Marlon Humphrey is playing out of this world this year. C.J. Mosley, I know he's a little bit banked up, but if he gets back at the mix, He's going to also be a part of that Ravens team. I think you can't sleep on the Falcons, but right now you have to say the favorite is the, you know, the Cincinnati Bengals. How much of a effect does Jimmy Smith returning to a secondary that I think PFF has as the number two secondary in football this year? How much of a difference does that make for the Ravens down the stretch? It, it makes a huge difference. If they can actually have strong cornerback and safety play like they did when they had Ed Reed, this is a scary defense. They're playing a lot better on that side of the ball this year. They're also getting good pressure up front. Michael Pierce is a monster. Definitely a big fan of him, even in a limited sample size. I think that Ravens defense is no joke, and it's finally looking like what it used to look like when Ray Lewis was there. Who do you believe in continuing this hot streak more down the stretch, Joe Flacco or Andy Dalton? I'm on Andy Dalton. I think he has the better opportunity okay. to put up more points. He has, he's the guy that's going to yeah. – I think he has a better offense. He has more opportunity to put up points. And you know, usually when you're going to tip the scales, it's the team that you know, can score more points on the offensive side of the ball. You know, like a lot has made it like the Tyler Eifert stuff sucks. Like it really does. He's a joy to watch and he's just a freak of nature. And he's like just one of those guys. He's kind of like, so the other guy who I didn't realize how highly graded he was and how just a, a, a machine he is downfield is OJ Howard. And he got banged up a little bit this past week. But Tyler Eifert's the other guy where it's like the not Gronk guy where you just look at their numbers and you just watch them. Like, watch a little bit of them in the field and the, the attention that they draw and just how big they are. And it's like, how is a linebacker or a free safety supposed to cover this person? Um, Tyler Croft has an amazing connection with Andy Dalton. Like, I think their passer rating when uh, Andy Dalton was targeting Croft last year was like 147. Like, he's comfortable with Croft. And, I mean, CJ Ozoma is another option. But, like... I don't think that there's going to be much of a drop-off without Tyler Eifert. Uh, is that a fair thing to say, or do you think Tyler Eifert, the absence of him, will uh, start to become more apparent as the season goes on? I think it's a, a very fair thing to say. I've been on that side of the, the whole situation as well. I was actually on another radio hit this week where they're saying that, you know, Croft, I mean, not Croft, uh, Eifert going down was going to be a big hit to the offense. He's better receive target. I was saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, Tyler Croft was very good with Andy Dalton last year, and Uzama has looked like a career best start to the season. I think that tandem alone is going to be able to replace what Eifert was able to do. He didn't have an outstanding start to the season. Yeah, he was targeting more, but of course he's targeting more. He's healthy, actually. But now that he's down, I don't think there is going to be that big of a drop-off. I think Croft can really fill the shoes. What about the defense? Because I have mixed thoughts on Terrell Austin as a defensive coordinator, but it does seem like the Bengals... I don't know. Geno Atkins is still a monster among men, but like... 
the back seven still kind of scares me. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to feel about this defense. It doesn't feel like a very Bengalsy defense anymore. It feels very, I don't know, topsy-turvy. Like, I don't really trust it. But then again, the Falcons are just, they're loaded at receivers. So I don't know how much I can take away from uh, just the slot corner having to do stuff with Calvin Ridley on the edge. Like, I don't think that's really fair at this point because Calvin Ridley, I think, leads the league in touchdowns. Um but yeah, like, are you nervous about this defense at all? Because it does seem like the Ravens have the clear edge on that side of the ball, especially in the back seven with Tony Jefferson, Eric Weddle, and now with Jimmy, uh, Smith coming back, Brandon Carr, Marlon Humphrey. Like, they have that locked up. But then again, you look to the Bengals, William Jackson the third broke out last year. And then you have Denard, who's playing better. And you have certain guys there that are like, okay, maybe this can work out. But I don't know. I feel like that's the one big thing that scares me. It's not Eifert. It's the fact that this defense might not be as good as previous Bengals defenses were in the past. Yeah, I don't think the Bengals defense, you know, gets the nod ahead of the uh, of the Ravens in this one. I think there are more question marks on that side. But fortunately, the defenses don't go against each other. So as long as the Bengals can, the Bengals defense is good enough to stop a Ravens offense that maybe isn't as capable of putting up points as much as the Bengals. But I think their defense compared to the rest of the league, way more question marks. Of course, they do get Bonsley's perfect back, which in addition to kind of his on-field presence, he is that kind of leader there that turns it into, like you said, a Bengalsy defense a little bit more. And William Jackson not playing well to start the season has definitely hurt them. Like he had an outstanding year last year. This year he's allowed way more receiving yards, way more touchdowns. He needs to get back into the swing of things. So Drake Kirkpatrick is playing better. If William Jackson can get back to what he looks like, then the defense starts to get a ton better. Jesse Bates, rookie safety is the highest graded rookie safety right now. He's playing very well. I think there's reasons to be hopeful, but no, you know, solid punctuation punctuation marks on this one to be sure about anything. Okay. Well, either way, it's going to be a fun race because the Steelers are digging themselves quite the hole. We know Le'Veon Bell is coming back mid-season, and they might be like three or four games back at that point. The Browns are good now, and or maybe I shouldn't say good. Are the Browns good? What are the Browns? <laughs> I do like the Browns. I think the Browns are going to go toe-to-toe with anybody. They have a lot of weapons on this roster. Just watching that last week, you know, last week's game against the Raiders, you see just how much talent they have. Miles Garrett's playing out of this world. Larry Ogunjobi is finding himself. Denzel Ward was a great pick. Start Avery out of nowhere is playing well. And then the offensive side of all, Baker Mayfield. When Callaway catches the ball, he's pretty decent. Jarvis Landry, offensive line is stout. I don't know. There's so much talent on that Browns roster that's hard to do aren't good. But I think they're going to be, you know, go toe-to-toe with anyone, really keep things close, and they'll sneak out a couple of W's. Somebody has to finish last in this division. Like, I, this might be the most complicated division to think about at this point. And I would never have guessed that before the season. But, like, whoever finishes last in the AFC North might be the best team in, like, the NFC East. That's, I think you're right. And I think it's going to be, if we had to choose right now, between the Browns and the Steelers, who's going to finish last. And it's a crazy thing to say. Like, no one would have predicted it before the season. But those are the two teams that I think are going to be shooting out for that third spot. That's wild. I just, I don't know what to think. I don't get it. And also, stop betting on rookie quarterbacks uh, winning their first start. Like, I think they're like 0-11 now um, in the last like 16 years. I think he continued that, Baker uh, continued that trend this week. Is that correct? I think that is correct, yeah. They are not, you know, rookie, rookie first starts don't really go well. It's, it's kind of expected given you know, their first experience of the game. And that, that, that definitely, uh, I'm, I'm not saying that's uh, too surprising. Okay. Um, Another rookie thing that I'm very fascinated by because PFF has Josh Rosen, his performance Sunday against the Seahawks as the number one graded quarterback uh, 
debut for any or game for any rookie quarterback of all time, or I guess not of all time. I guess it's all time since you've been tracking uh, rookie quarterbacks. Um, why did this grade so well? What did Josh Rosen do that stood out so much to um, everyone at Pro Football Focus? What was crazy is we saw a lot of what we saw at UCLA. He threw. He threw some bad throws. He made maybe some bad decisions, more bad decisions than maybe a Darnold has made and, and, well, extrapolated across the games he's played. But he made a lot of big-time throws. He made he made those throws that, you know, only good quarterbacks make in terms of ball placement and that, you know, that entire nine yards. So I think Josh Rosen was risky, but when he took risks and they worked, he looked a lot better than, you know, Darnold has played being a little bit more conservative in that offense. I'm just so scared with him. I, I care more about Josh Rosen's health. Like I think more about his health than um, just it's it's ridiculous how much I care about Josh Rosen's health, a person that I don't know. But like I look at that offensive line and I'm still just baffled that it exists in 2018 and that he's going to be able to stand upright after three weeks of this. But um, he's able to get around like he's not the most mobile of guys. But like you said, he was he's really good in the intermediary. He's like, I think, uh, one of the best in between like 10 to 19 yards and all that kind of stuff. He's very accurate in that capacity. But like, though, we know the weird shoulder stuff at UCLA and the nerve damage and all of other stuff. And I'm just like one hit. And I just I, I don't know, man, I'm terrified. I would rather Mike Glennon be out there just because this offense isn't scoring points anyway. They're terrible. I, I don't. I don't know. At the same time, it's great for the development, and the you could tell that there's more excitement when he's playing, and the, the players believe that they can actually win a full game when he's on the field. But I don't know. Josh Rosen, do you think he survives like 10 more games of this? It's, it's The concerns for Josh Rosen's health are valid. The Arizona Cardinals on the slide is one of the worst in the league in pass blocking, and it's, it's veterans that are doing it. You know, Mike Capati, Justin Pugh, those guys aren't playing as well as they used to, and I don't see it really turning it turning around for them. However, I think the risk outweighs the reward when you're playing Josh Rosen early. He gets that experience. If he gets hurt, obviously catch 20, you know, hindsight is 22, but I think if he gets hurt, it's obviously a concern. But if he's able to stay healthy and learn how to you know, play under pressure, it's great experience for a kid that they know they want to start in year two. So you have the, if he dies, he dies uh, perspective on this. Absolutely. If he dies, he dies. <laughs> Perfect. All right. I'm hoping Josh Rosen's parents are not listening to this podcast because they would be very upset at this That's take. fair. That's yeah. fair. Um, what's going on with David Johnson? Yeah, he's not getting the touches that, you know, he deserves right now. I think he's still very capable of acts, still very good at forcing the tackles and that yards after contact. It's just interesting to see his usage. Cardinals have been down a lot, so maybe he's not, you know, getting as many carries as he'd like. But I think if this team gets ahead and they can kind of get in the flow of things, if Josh Rosen can get that offense balanced, balanced in terms of making the run even available, I think David Johnson's going to get back to his normal self. It's the usage that really concerns me. Is there a Mike McCoy issue at this point? The guy that Peyton Manning said is the best offensive coordinator he's ever had or something along those lines. He got fired <laughs> in Denver through four weeks last year. Um, Cardinals 0-4, not scoring points, like 30-something points in four weeks, which seems kind of insane in the current offensive climate. Um, are you seeing anything that makes you think that Mike McCoy is not a good offensive mind anymore? Yeah, there, there, there are some you know concerns with that. You can definitely see that when in the first year, at least, what was this offense doing? But I think if he can't elevate Josh Rosen's play, that's when you can really start to think about things critically in terms of where he's at. But if, you know, if he can actually produce with Josh Rosen, a much better quarterback who looks like he's bringing life to this offense, that's when, you know, things could get a lot smoother. 
Okay. What is the bright spot for the Cardinals right now? Because I don't want this to be super negative. I, Cardinals fans are they're good. I, li- I have a lot of Cardinal fan friends. So uh, what is the positive? Is it that they just signed Darian Thompson, a former third rounder, to their practice squad? Is that the biggest thing for them? Uh, I think the positive has to be Josh Rosen's play. I mean, he had a standout grade in his debut. I think he's going to continue to play like that. Right there. If he's the real deal, regardless of where this roster is, this team can win games moving forward. As you can see, when you get a good quarterback, good things can happen. Okay. I mean, yeah, just keep him upright, Arizona. I, I mean, the look of him coming out the tunnel and seeing the players just smile as he runs out on the field, I think that's enough. Just look at this image of Josh Rosen being introduced to Cardinals fans and just keep that in the back of your mind as the team scores 14 points against the Seahawks in Week 10. I don't know if they play the Seahawks in Week 10, but it just feels like this is not a team that's going to drop 45 any game, right? Yeah, I, I don't think that I don't think 45 is really you know where they can hit right now. But I do think Josh Rosen is going to continue to get better with experience, and I think Cardinals and Cardinals fans should be happy for as long as he's able to progress and stay healthy. Okay. Um, yeah, I just uh, this is a very bad team. I was re- I was way off on my Cardinals expectations before the year, and I think it was just because they had so much turnover. Man, like I think we undervalue just how much turnover this team went through on the roster, and they had this continuity of veterans um, for the last couple of years. And this year, it was just they they lost a lot of guys, and uh, this is gonna be a bad year. But I feel like this is the year where you shouldn't be bad if you're the Cardinals because the 49ers lost Garoppolo, the Seahawks are miserable to watch and just lost Earl Thomas, and the Rams are just going to maybe go 16-0. and Who knows? So, like, the wild card's just sitting there for them or some kind of great year to take advantage of two other bad NFC West teams, but they're not going to do it, I don't think. But uh, you never know. Maybe Josh Rosen uh, lights a fire, and they are um, a team that may uh, have a good second half and something like that. Who, who knows? Yeah, it's, it's rough. I mean, bad quarterback play combined with bad offensive play is kind of a recipe for disaster. And a team that will kind of only finish last in the division. But if the quarterback play gets significantly better, they could start to chase maybe third in that division. But I still don't see this as a team that's going above 500. I think that division's going to finish with a couple of guys under 500. And I think this team can get into that third spot, but it's not going to be for the playoffs. Okay. Last thing, and then we'll go. This isn't on my list, but um, I was keeping up. I keep up with your Twitter feed, Austin. <laughs> And um, you had a lot on the Raiders, especially Amari Cooper. And then there's this route that you posted a video of that uh, he toasted this guy. And I don't know who it was in the video that he toasted, but it is a poor Browns defender who just gets absolutely destroyed by Amari Cooper. And a lot's been made because I think fantasy owners just um, are so fed up with his existence. And I don't think it's his fault. And uh, you can tell by routes like that. And when he gets open, it's like, oh, my God, this guy's uber talented. So um, update us all. What's going on with Amari Cooper? Yeah, Amari Cooper is very, very good. He's very good at being a receiver, running routes, you know, detecting coverages and choosing the right zones to be. Yes, he has some drops, but he's still very good at getting open, which is the most important thing. More important than drops, getting open and being able to create short and intermediate separation, stretch the defense, and that's what he's so good at. I think the big big reason with him is he fades in terms of in terms of targets. Certain game plans don't keep him as the focal point like you would see a Julio Jones or AJ Green. He always finishes way lower than he should be in target share percentage. And it's it's he's been in a two systems now that kind of put him in a bad spot in terms of not making him the focal point and trying to spread the ball around. He's capable of doing Julio Jones, AJ Green things but he needs that kind of volume. 
do you think that's going to change and they're going to adjust like with the way Gruden talked about it? Or do you think this will continue of just the, hey, you get a turn, you get a turn, you get a turn, that kind of thing? Or does this something that they adjust based on his game in Cleveland? Yeah, I think Gruden's going to keep doing with whatever keeps the W's coming. But I think right. if he was going to shift in the direction, I think he's trying to try and get them Lamar Cooper his targets. When he's targeted five plus, six plus times, he's able to put up the numbers that we like to see. But when he's in that, you know, not using the offense and maybe only targeted on a few routes, that's when he can fade in games and he gets lost, you know, in the shuffle. Are we sure that Marshawn Lynch shouldn't just touch the ball every every offensive possession for the Raiders? I think he should touch it a lot more. Every offensive possession mm-hmm. may be a stretch, but he does deserve the ball more. He is like uh, he is the best running back in football right now in terms of creating yards after contact and forcing missed tackles. And that's the only things you can really do to add to a good offensive line as a running back is create your own yards. And he's the best running back in football right now doing that. That is, it's insane that he's this old and he's this so this much wear on the tires, and he's still doing what he's doing, and just he's still insanely hard to bring down. It's it's baffling. Yeah, at 32 years old, you really don't expect it. And from you know, quantitatively, yes, he's forcing a lot of his tackles, yards after contact. But even if you just watch him and give a qualitative opinion of how violent this guy's running football right now, it's very exciting to see, and it's nothing like you're seeing in the NFL right now. Austin, this is uh, this is always great. I'm glad we're able to do this now on a consistent basis. Um, all right, man. Well, this this does it for this week's PFF Chase Thomas Podcast merger. All right, we're back on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Another returning guest who is going to be here every week. I don't know why. I haven't gotten to the bottom of why Sully wants to be on this podcast more consistently. But you know what? He's here, and uh, he's in the podcast again. Thanks for having me, man. I, I, I like talking ball with you. I enjoyed having, uh, having some fun talking college football and, and, and all sorts of different things last week. So let's, let's, uh, let's, let's go round two. So how did you feel about uh, Tennessee covering this past weekend against Georgia? I felt pretty good, actually. Uh, it was another 26-point loss, which I don't know how that happens. All, all Tennessee's losses are by, exactly by 26, but it felt a heck of a lot different than the West Virginia and, and Florida losses. It uh, started out a lot of the same, uh, going down 17 nothing, I think, at halftime, but came out, had a heck of a third quarter. And that that's just a that's that's a really really fast Georgia team, and for or for an outmatched, outgunned, not as fast Tennessee defense and offense for that matter. That that uh, being only down a, a couple scores in, in the fourth quarter is is something to hang your hat on. And you've seen progress, which is as we talked about. That's that's what you want to see in a in a in a first year head coach. You just you're not worried as much about wins and losses as you are about seeing the offensive line step up against the tough Georgia front, seeing the defensive line finally get some pressure and, uh, and, and, and make a quarterback uncomfortable for the first time all season. Those are the, those are the things that you're going to have to have to see and hang your hat on as a Tennessee team that's outgunned going at Georgia. And they did it. So um, obviously 38, 12 is not, not a pretty score line, but once you dive into the box score and actually, actually look at the game it, it was it, w- it was a little bit closer than that and, and that, that that's that's uh that's a positive in the right direction for the balls so you're feeling good 
I sense some serious optimism. Serious, on uh, serious optimism. Yeah, yeah I, I don't think uh, like I mean, obviously you can't you can't write off Pruitt as a as a success, but after one game, but that's it's 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 a heck of a lot better than 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 going out against a, a Florida team that might not be as bad as we thought they were after the, this weekend, but still, they're not Georgia, and and they showed some fight, and Pruitt. Also, uh, was really appreciative of that fight after the after the game and the press conference and how he was getting emotional and it, and it went viral and uh, he was he was almost brought to tears by by the team fighting and how much they've gone through and to be able to continue to get back up and 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 I mean they still took a twenty six point loss at the end of the day but that that's that that Georgia team is 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 going to be challenging for the playoff for good reason they have two really good quarterbacks they have speed and talent all over the field they're not as deep as Alabama but they're not too far behind. So uh, if, if if Tennessee fans uh, felt bad coming out of the Florida game, they definitely felt feel good. <laughs> if you can feel good losing to a rival coming out of this game. Unfortunately, the schedule ahead is uh, a little. This rough. week's great. This week's great. All yeah. bye week. Tennessee's uh, not losing. So right. There's that. But yeah, the Alabama and, and Auburn, the, the the Iron Bowl tandem. Uh, to to follow after the bye week is going to get real ugly, but just sh- keep showing fight, keep showing improvement. If 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 they do that, then then I think everybody's going to be happy. Nobody was expecting Tennessee to win any of these games: Georgia, Georgia, Auburn, Bama. So it, it just just hold up on the front lines and 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 the defensive lines like you did against Georgia, and uh, I think you're definitely headed in the right direction. At least you've got a guarantee win in Kentucky on the schedule this year. No, 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 not anymore. My goodness, no, those Wildcats no, are—they're no. on the map. They're on the map. We we talked about them last week, and that mm-hmm. that was that was a exactly what I thought would happen. And they they went out and jumped on South Carolina, and 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 pretty much just just from the get go, that second quarter, twenty one points coming up. and really putting it on Jake Bentley, holding Jake Bentley to one hundred forty eight yards, three picks. Uh, yeah, they, they, they looked, they, they made him look pretty pedestrian and that, that's, that's a good defense. We, we, we talked about, it's not just, just, uh, just the offensive weapons that they have with, uh, with, with Wilson. And, um, and I think that defense is going to make the difference going, going down the stretch and might give them a chance against Georgia. I, I don't know that, but that, that's going to be your game for the East. Seriously, who would have thought that going into the season that Georgia and Kentucky is going to be basically the SEC East title? And it is. It's, it's 100% of it. It's not even close. That's the best team in the East. Second it's best not team the East. out of the question that uh, both those teams are undefeated when they play. Right, right. Like, and I went with uh, the same old Kentucky. Let, eventually, there's going to be a letdown on the road. Uh, and I, I come, I'm kind of today on, on, on the podcast when we were picking games, I went, went with A&M, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I, my gut is, is saying that, and my eyes are also telling me that Kentucky's a better team. So I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I think they're, they're eventually going to get let down, but I, I wouldn't shock me at all if they went in and, and, uh, went into college station and pulled out a win this weekend. I think they, they, they're, they're the better team on the field if, if, as long as they're not, wide-eyed at that Kyle, uh, Kyle Field crowd, then they're going to be A-OK, and they, they shouldn't be. They, they're, 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 
they're a puncher's chance away from going to Atlanta, which is nuts. I so I'm right there with you with Texas A&M. I actually have them winning this game too. Mm-hmm. I part of it is just that like so Texas A&M. Maybe I'm giving them too much credit for what they did against Alabama and Clemson, but at the same time. Yeah. They were kind of like they were in like so we have to grade playing Alabama on a curve now at this point where it's like they weren't in the Alabama game. No, but they were in the Alabama game better than anybody else was. So like if they were playing a normal good SEC team, right? It, they're right there. But unfortunately, Alabama has a team where Tua Tagovailoa can throw eight passes, complete all eight of them. And it's just. He has like a 13 point whatever yards per attempt. He's got an insane like 75% completion percentage. It's just, it's not really fair. And uh, no, it's I not. Just, he's a, he's you a... can't gleam a lot from those games. However, their game against Clemson was wild. And mm-hmm. they came back, they fought. Like they're ahead of schedule. So, like a lot of first year coaches, we were seeing sputter. Like Chip mm-hmm. Kelly might go 0 12. Like that is on the table if you look at their schedule. Right. I will say, I was kind of right about the fact that I thought I I picked UCLA to beat Colorado so I was wrong on that front but I Mm -hmm. did think at the very least they would keep it close because Colorado's wins aren't that impressive when you take away the Nebraska stuff and it's like UCLA is not that bad and they have guys they have Felton on the edge uh Kelly who I I can only assume is the younger brother of your beloved volunteers running back for the last four years uh uh, the other Kelly Mm -hmm. yeah um he ran up and down on Colorado. Great right. guy. Like, and then you still got a young quarterback who's shown flashes. And, you know, you can see what they're doing on defense, all that kind of stuff. They just don't have the bodies. They're starting a bunch of freshmen. Like, they're not there yet. But at the same time, they were up 10-7 to 7, uh, at one point in this game. They were in mm-hmm. it in the third quarter and then just ran out of gas. So that's what's going to happen is they're going to show flashes and they're going to run out of gas and then they're going to lose. Texas right. A&M's different because Texas A&M stays there. And Kellen Mond has been at Texas A&M, I think, for 17 years now. Mm-hmm. And he's one of those guys. He's Right. And I never would have thought that he would have adjusted as well as he has to Jimbo's pro-style friendly scheme. Um, you saw, like, what happened with DeAndre Francois the first couple of games with Willie Taggart's up-tempo stuff. Like, it's an adjustment. Kellen Mond, like, I think actually got better because he in this he's in the system now, which is weird. And, you know... I, I just think this team is going to score too many points because Clemson's defense is better than Kentucky's defense. And Kentucky's defense is their strength. Like, Mark Stoops mm-hmm. has got his guys now. They're older. They're good. They're strong. Their defensive line is big. Great. I don't know if Kentucky can score 35 points. Their quarterback play is still atrocious. But right. Snell, you know, I'm right there with Kentucky fans in that there might be a conspiracy to keep Benny Snell out of the Heisman conversation because AJ Dillon is not a better running back than Benny no. Snell in 2018. No, he's, he's not. in the conversation. But if you look across the board, Snell's numbers are better, and but Snell's he's not gonna, getting the Snell's love. Gonna, Snell's a better pro pro style running back as well. How many how many 240 pound running backs do you see in the NFL these days? Not not too many. So I mean, not not saying that Dillon doesn't have a shot, but I think Snell Snell's going to go farther. Uh, and and that you're right. That is a straight up conspiracy theory to keep him out like it's it, it's if he's not on the map and if they go down in a college station and pull out the win it's obviously going to be a lot on his shoulders keeping the ball mm-hmm. moving the ball up and down the field but keeping the clock on their in, in their favor uh then yeah i i think that it, the conspiracy theories i'm gonna start buying it real quick if he's not on the map after if they go down in a&m and win 100 percent. the guy's an absolute animal he runs angry 
and I love that. And being a Seahawks fan, I love it. I love angry running backs for sure. Mm-hmm. Or just healthy running backs, right? Healthy, yeah, healthy running backs. Yeah, no kidding. My goodness. Is Chris Carson ever going to stay healthy? Partview forever, by the way. He went to my high school. Oh, no way. No way. Yeah, yeah. And, and one of my best Chris friends uh, out here is, is a big Oklahoma State fan, so he, he loves him as well. I was at his first game out here. Uh, I, I think I think he's got a shot. He'll, he, he'll get there eventually. Yeah, he'll get there eventually. I, I, I'm not ever going to pick him up in fantasy. I'm not saying that, but I think I think he could be a right. certain still back at some point. So. <laughs> I don't know, man. Mike Davis, he had a good day. Maybe he he's did, the 19th I think, option. I think he might every, be the guy. I think everybody's going to have a good day against that Colonel's defense. So, right. But yeah, um, back back to A and M. I think Jimbo right. he he is ahead of schedule, and they have the number one recruiting class in the country right now. So mm-hmm. they, it's it's it. On one hand, I'm I'm pretty positive on Jimbo. On the other hand, I don't think you can you can put hands on a player like he did. Uh, it was awful. That yeah. was terrible. That was so terrible. And then and you, you, it's not 1980 anymore. You know, um, you just can't do it. But uh, out, out, outside of outside of those issues, I, I think he's he's got that place rock and rolling. A&M's always been one of those places where it's it's been circled as the sleeping giant, as it were just because of how big of a recruiting base they have in Texas and how a hungry fan base, passionate fan base tradition, uh, minus a lot of winning, which, uh, which the, the, the Longhorns love to, to give them crap for, for years and years, as I know, growing up in South Texas. <laughs> and, uh, but, but they have the money, which is, which is another huge key. And, and now they have the coach uh, that, that can pull in the recruits over just about anybody that place is a, a ticking time bomb to get to go off and, and, and win a lot of big games in a big way. Then I, I think this year's the first step in the right direction of the, to, to that point, like number one recruiting class playing Clemson tight. They're, 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 as you said, definitely ahead of schedule. Big problem though. They play in the sec West. Yeah. And that's nobody. People aren't, uh, Auburn's I, I think is, I think isn't going anywhere anytime soon. I don't Can think. we talk about Auburn for thirty seconds? Yes, absolutely. Let it rip. I hate this team. I hate <laughs> everything about it. They're going to win ten or eleven games, and I'm going to hate every minute of it. Yeah, Schwartz doesn't do anything. I don't understand why he's not involved in this offense on a more significant scale. Um, mm-hmm. The receiving group is incredibly underwhelming. Jarrett Stidham's like completing barely above fifty percent of his passes. The offensive line is not good. Uh, they can't establish a running game, but they're going to try every single week to establish a running game. I figured that Southern Miss was going to stay in it. Like I had them covering. I knew it was going to be close. I knew I was going to hate it. And I did hate it, man. I, I hate watching Auburn right now. I, right? I can't stand it. And going into it, you had one of your wideouts transfer, one of your better wideouts, right? Yeah. Craig Myers. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there's not, not a whole lot of positives uh, around that, <laughs> around that team. But I mean, you still got talent. You still have one of the best uh, quarterbacks uh in my opinion in the in the league uh um, are we sure now i don't know is he, ian book better than jarrett stidham my column oh oh i <laughs> I, I gotta see more <laughs> from him i gotta see more from him but he book has been definitely oppressive or, or impressive so far uh that and I, like i said on the on last week's pod notre dame if they win this week is in the playoffs and i think they are i think they're gonna they're gonna beat virginia tech although virginia heck is a good team and that place is going to be rocking on Saturday. I still think. I, Can I think you imagine? So Stuart Mandel of The Athletic mm-hmm. um, in his mailbag this week, people are just writing in all these questions about like, oh, how can Notre Dame destroy the college football playoff? 
And one guy wrote in of like, is it a possibility that Oklahoma, Notre Dame, um, who was, who else am I forgetting? There's some, a couple other teams who were still, mm-hmm. still undefeated. Oh, Clemson. LSU. And not, it was another non-SEC. Is anybody else still undefeated in the Pac-12? West Virginia. Uh, no, they would have to lose to Oklahoma in that scenario. Right, so that I forgot who the other team, but he had someone else in there from the Pac-12. Or big, oh, mm-hmm. Ohio State. Never mind. Ohio State, got Ohio the, State yeah. in the Big Ten. Yeah. So those four go undefeated, and the SEC beats each other up, and they all have one loss. And Could they there all be make a scenario where the SEC gets left off? And, you know, I laughed at that at the beginning, and then I thought about it. And, you know, like, Alabama, us just assuming they're going undefeated is kind of silly because that rarely right. happens for them. And it's just really hard to go undefeated in the SEC. And then you look at Ohio State's schedule for the next month. Mm-hmm. They're probably going to go undefeated. Unless they get upset in the championship game, they're in. Clemson, I mean, they're tier mm-hmm. one in the ACC, and there's no one close. Like, if you watch Miami on Thursday, not great. Nikosi Perry threw, like, 12 balls, and, like, I don't think he's that much of an upgrade over Malik Rogier. I mean, he's better. But, like, the reason they killed North Carolina is because North Carolina had, like, seven turnovers in that game yep. and just kept gift-wrapping stuff to them. Oh, no. Just, th- they, were like, they were like, please fire Larry Fedora tonight. We will keep giving Miami the ball so you will move on from Larry Fedora right now. The ACC is just, it's hot garbage right now. NC Clemson's State, probably going to run the table there. Clemson has NC State in two weeks, and that's about it. Like, they have Finley, and the heck, NC State might lose to BC this weekend. So, that might not even be a game by the time it, the Clemson gets to it. So, yeah. I, and are we betting against Kyler Murray? Are we betting against Notre Dame's, like, USC? Like, I don't think, I mean, they no. play an ACC schedule. Notre, Dame's like, Notre Dame is in the driver's seat, too. Oklahoma, Oklahoma, we'll, we'll find out a, a good bit about them this weekend. If you look at their schedule, they really haven't played all too much. Uh, but they, they closed yeah. out They closed out pretty hard. They're going to have to play Oklahoma State at the end of the year, have to play West Virginia at the end of the year, maybe twice. So I think OU, if they run the table, they're safe. Clemson, if they run the table because of the weakness, that's why uh, you, you pointed out it, it could happen within, with, with the SEC. I think if Alabama gets a loss and Clemson's undefeated, I think I have to take Alabama because you have wins over – LSU, you have wins over Auburn. You're gonna have a win over over Georgia. All three of those wins are a heck of a lot better than anything Clemson's gonna have. So that's uh that 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 could be. And then you put Notre Dame in. This this could be a, a pretty wild finish to the season. And we're I mean we're 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 just entering October. We're already speculating, but it could. I mean somebody's gonna lose. Somebody is gonna lose, and it, it, there's gonna be some crazy upsets. We know it, it always happens. Uh, but yeah, I, I I think Notre Dame is going to add a whole new piece to the ball game because I don't, I don't see them losing. And they don't have to play in a conference championship game, which matters. Yep. Yeah, they're going to have an extra week just to sit back if they run the table and be like, all right, uh, you guys go beat up on each other. We could probably move up in the playoffs because I, I think you know I don't think Georgia and 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 Bama are going to go anywhere. So. They're probably going to end up playing each other and and uh, and end up knocking one of each other off. So they're they're going to if they're, they're sitting at four or three, or whatever they're going to they're going to move on up. It's 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 yeah. without playing a game. That's what's so crazy about the SEC right now. It's like LSU. I mean, they're having a great year, even though it's a painful year. And I think if you like, I have a theory on um, how LSU is perceived by casual fans. Like, if you asked a casual college football fan, or even someone who cares a little bit, watches every weekend, has their team, all that kind of stuff, like, mm-hmm. what is Joe Burrow's completion percentage? What would you guess? Me? I think he has like N- not, uh, not. What would you guess? I'll ask you right now. Not what do you think high. It is? Probably not high. Not high, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
a lot of people, I think, look at him and they look at LSU's offense and like, well, they they're a defense first team. They take care of the ball. They're but grand. no, like, no, 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 no. Watch them play. They like their offense is just like right. Chris Keenum losing his mind. Right. No, I, I think I think he's he is, uh, and we talked about last week. I think he's he's the best quarterback they've had in a bit. So. I think he's going to make a difference. He's going to make a difference and then lead, going down the, this stretch of just hideous SEC West games. And, and it's, it's, it's going to be fun. They're, they're, I'm going to circle them. I don't, I don't see them making the playoffs, but they'll, they'll, be, they'll be a good time to watch going down the stretch. It's Bama and, and, and the like. Yeah, I, um, I don't know. But what do you make of Ian Book right now? Do you think he's, he's the real deal? Do you think it's just more of like a lot of people just didn't have tape on him right now and just him getting inserted, people having adjusted, there's not enough film? All of the um, above. Do you think this is the real deal? Okay. Yeah, all of the above. I think, I think it, it's, it's too early to anoint him, but I, that, that Stanford secondary isn't, isn't really a pushover, you know. Uh, and, yeah, I, I, I think – Th- that quarterback change is going to put them square in it uh, combined with, with their, their lighter schedule. Uh, it's, you got it. You got to love their chances with, with that guy at the helm, the dude, the dude going up against Stanford and just lighting them up, putting up that many points and, and putting up, what did they put up like 56 and against wake too. I mean, it's wake, but you're still, you're, when's the last time we saw another game offense put up that, that many points that consistently. I don't know. You know, yeah. They're 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 uh, they're rocking and rolling right now. It's weird. I knew they'd be good, and I feel vindicated on my Brian Kelly is actually good, and people should really calm down and like, oh Notre Dame should go after someone else, like Mark Stoops or I'm Mike Stoops, excuse me. No way. And I was like, what? What? Notre Dame had Charlie Wise before us. They had Tyron Willingham. They had a like. Just appreciate, like, Brian Kelly's really good. He wins a lot of games. He recruits at a high level. I think it's just more of, like, he got blown out by Alabama, and it's like, oh. It, and then he had a down, like, he had a random 3-9 and nine year, whatever. Brian mm-hmm. Kelly's still just, he's a really good coach. I think he's a top-five coach in college football. Right. Right. No. Uh, I don't know about that, but I think that we, we, we talked about. Give me your about... top five, then. If it doesn't include uh, Brian let's Kelly see, right now, see. give me your top oh, five. Oh, oh, oh. Let's see here. Let me let me get a pen. Well, you you got you got Saban, you got Dabo. Right. Uh, are we sure Dabo's a better coach than Brian Kelly? I think he is. I okay. think he is. Um, because I'm gonna say like if we remove Brent Venables, we remove no, their I, offensive coordinator Scott. Um, I forget his first name. Like what is it, Jeff Scott? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, they have co-offensive coordinators, but. If you remove Brent Venables from the equation, they don't have that defense. Are we sure Dabo? Like, look at the first couple of years. It wasn't great, and we had question marks about Dabo. I think he's good. I think he's grown into the job. I uh, just, Brian Kelly see. has had, look at this. He lost his offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. Like, Mike Elko took the Texas A&M job. Defense has not missed a beat. Like, right. Brian Kelly can lose whatever assistant. It just doesn't matter. I'm not, I'm not saying he's 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 a bad coach by any means, but I would take Chris Peterson over him. I would take okay. Mm, That's close. It's cl- David Shaw's right there. No, nope. the guy he just beat. Yeah, no respect. No, no respect. But I, I I don't think Stanford's very good this year. Um, Gary Patterson's pretty close. Hmm. James Franklin. Nah. I 
think he's about even with Jim Harbaugh. No, he's better than Jim Harbaugh. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, then you're talking him. You're talking him, Kirby Smart. Um, yeah, I, I, I think okay. he's a heck of a coach. See, I think it's not crazy. He's right there. No, he's right. He is right there. And and you you bring up a really really good point. I I, I forgot about them losing all that. It's just a a cycle of coaches. Uh, and for him to pull it off, pull this year off, um, is is impressive without him. I mean that those were big losses. So yeah. No, that's I, just one of those things that matters. I think we we undervalued mm-hmm. the idea of like because you can't keep your assistants forever. That's why right. the head coach is just so important. Is like eventually, if you're successful, your coordinators are going to get picked off. Mm-hmm. And if your coach that's is not good enough success. to withstand that, that's why Saban loves. Yeah, it. exactly. Nick Saban loses assistants all the time. Doesn't mm-hmm. matter. I think most fans have no idea that Mike Loxley is their current offensive coordinator. No yeah. idea. It yeah. doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. No, I agree, uh, and that's a sign of a truly healthy, healthy program. Is when you start just pumping out, pumping out coaches, and he's it, shoot. If Notre Dame makes the playoffs, he's, he's setting himself up for for. I, I think I wasn't saying he's he's got a hot seat or anything, but I mean, Notre Dame fans weren't exactly the happiest, uh, as it were. If, if he came in this year and flopped, whew, I don't know, but I, yeah, I it. I did not see Notre Dame making a playoff run, and I, I, like I've said a couple times, they're they're in it. So you got you got to you got to give them got to give that the head man a lot of credit for making a playoff run, even without the without coaches. Um, and and he and he made the quarterback change, and that's looking like it's going to be be a big payoff as well. Got to give credit where credit is due. Yeah, I agree. Um, what do you make of Hunter Renfro rolling that bus back and forth over Kelly Bryant? Yeah, yeah, he did. We had him on the pod. Uh, did not bring it up, but um, we, yeah, I, I, I disagree with him a little bit. I think Kelly Bryant's got to do the best for Kelly Bryant when it comes down to it. I'm going to tend to side uh, a little bit towards the player, not as much, but I, I'm, I'm a team guy too. But I think you could, you could, you could settle in the middle here. You could easily sit on the fence with this one because. Uh, uh, Kelly Bryant is one of the best quarterbacks in college football um, when he when he's on. So the the guy deserves a shot to go out and play. If, if Trevor Lawrence is one of the more talented quarterbacks to come out in recent memory, DJ and Bucky have have watched him, and and you, you know those guys know football, and they loved Trevor Lawrence, loved that guy, absolutely loved him. So to get beat beat out by him, not 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 a bad thing. So why not take advantage of the new rules and go play it in Oklahoma? Who's going to need a quarterback soon? Going to need a quarterback next year, probably. You know, like I don't see. Yes, it's all about team. Yes, you, you, you got to. It, it can break up a locker room, but in the end of the day, can you really blame them? I don't, I don't know if you can. I mean, it's just one of those things. You know what I hate is when people like do this thing and look I don't know Hunter Renfro but like he said what he said Venables I think was also quoted in that ESPN story where it's like everybody throws in the caveat of like look I'm not gonna judge I don't know it it, I wasn't in a situation and it's this that and the other and kind of dodging that part and then just being like but I just think it's wrong to ban your team and all that kind of other stuff I'm like well like just leave it at I'm not in his position I'm not Kelly Bryant I Mm -hmm. like he he did not make this rule. Like he did not make the new transfer rule. That is mm-hmm. not on Kelly Bryant. And ultimately, thirty years from now, these guys are not going to talk to Kelly Bryant. 
it's the Le'Veon Bell thing on a different kind of scale, and I understand the conversation's a little bit different, mm-hmm. but it's like there's only a small sliver of time where these guys can get seen, win a championship, get paid, all of that kind of stuff. This is a significantly small part of their overall life. So I never look at what they do in this situation or if they're selfish or whatever, um, especially in football where it's just like if you're not selfish, you're just going to get screwed over and over again. Um, and you'll get taken advantage of and all the other stuff. And like he lost a job and you know what, whatever it happens, Trevor Lawrence is the right choice. And Kelly Bryant might win a championship wherever he transfers. He might transfer to like Oregon or I don't know, Auburn, maybe who knows? <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you take him. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, we stayed him gone after this year, no matter what. I mean, Bo Nix is coming in. So right. Oh, that's I, right. I, I that's right. Bo Nix looked pretty good, pretty good at the opening. I was out out there. He, he was one of the better ones. They're, I don't, I'm not a, the biggest believer in this quarterback class, but he was definitely a guy that that I could see see uh, having some success. That dude could sling it. A very good SEC quarterback name, Bo Nix. Bo Nix, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but cra- crazy that it's the fourth Clemson quarterback to transfer since January. I heard that stat today. Somebody, somebody fine bomber. Somebody brought it up. That's pretty mm-hmm. wild, and 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 I think that's the obviously the position of uh, that you know with the most eyeballs on it. But um, I could see I could see this the floodgates could open, but I I think pump the brakes on people saying that this is you know a negative because why we, we've heard a million people say it, but co- coaches have the chance to leave all the time without repercussion. I think, I think players, if you graduate and, and, and with, with the current rule that your, your biggest advantage is if you graduate early, then, then you can transfer everywhere. And I'm no NCAA uh, rules expert, but uh, I, it, I think Kelly Bryant uh, graduated in like earlier this spring and it, and is going to take full advantage of it. And I think Jared Stidham even did it, where he transferred to JUCO school, graduated, and then and then enrolled in Auburn uh, before spring ball. So I I, I think um, yeah, you could you could take you could take advantage of this if you're a big time quarterback. I I don't know why Jalen hurts. I, I, Jalen hurts. He he's he's his own guy. Obviously, I, I think he's still going to graduate in December and and, and transfer. Everybody, it's their decision to make, but it, I think this is a great role for players to give them a little power for once. Because obviously, college students and college athletes don't don't have a lot of power, and this is this is one role that that gives them a little bit. Yeah. Um, what I will say though is, I think they're going to adjust. I think just because this is year one, but I, I, it's going to be crazy, and we're already right. seeing the craziness. But what I think only is ten players happen, really took Staple, advantage of it, right? I think it was only only about ten of them. Well, Oklahoma State's wide receiver, like Jalen Plesky, a couple weeks ago. Yep. Yeah, yeah, um, he might be coming to Tennessee. Actually, his his dad played for the there ball. There you go. So that'd be um, good. We need speed. Yeah. <laughs> or just bodies. Just and, bodies. Uh, right. <laughs> if it's yeah. warm, he can play. Right. Uh, no, I just think that like so. Andy Staples on Solid Verbal this week had a really good point, mm-hmm. and I agree with it. Is that like. I think eventually like this, what we're going to learn from this and how coaches are going to react and adjust is that they're going to stop going after multiple four and five stars. And they're going to start just going after one five star sign develop and then go to two and three, maybe Mm -hmm. one, just have a trade because that's what chase Bryce was. He was like a two or three star coming out of Grayson and he wasn't going to transfer. So it's like Mac Jones at Alabama. 
he's not going to transfer because he never expected to start. You have to just get one and then don't worry about adding another four or five star just in case because ultimately with this new rule in place, they're going to transfer if they lose the job. They're going to all do the Blake Barnett thing. Oh, I lost. Guess what? Going to Arizona State and then I'm, oh, I lost the job again. Going to South Florida. <laughs> That's what's going to continue to happen is those guys are going to bounce around because they are four and five star guys and they need to play and they went to college to play football and start for uh, their team. And I think a lot more four and five stars are going to be careful. Like the Justin Fields of the world, may not go the Georgia route anymore because they're like, ooh, I don't know if this is going to work because one of us is going to have to go, but Jake Fromm's still a very good college quarterback and he has two more years of eligibility. So what happens there? Like they, they're not losing. Do they keep just going two quarterbacks and Justin Fields is okay with that? I no, have my doubts. I, I, I mean, or it can go the other way with the transfer rule. If you have that in your back pocket, um, why not go and compete and, and try to beat this guy out? You know, like uh, I, I think it could could be used both ways. Uh, you're it, right. It, so I don't know. It, it, it's gonna be interesting to see. But you're right. I think the NCAA is gonna make changes. That's that's what they do. It, it's 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 gonna take a bit. It's not gonna be instantaneous, but they're gonna tweak this rule eventually. Uh, and I don't know how, it, but it probably tends to to go the opposite way than good. So. Uh, I don't trust trust NCAA rulemakers as far as I can throw them. So, um, yeah, yeah, but yeah. This is a positive. It helps a pos- anything that's for it's late. Bomani Jones had a great point on this, where it's like, hey, it win one for the working class. Yeah, Good for them, they got 100%. one. They got one. They got one. They, like I said earlier, like the, the not not a whole lot of rules out there. Not a whole lot of positives for NCAA athletes um, when it comes to rules and 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 transferring and and not getting paid. I mean, that's a whole nother Pandora's box that we could open up on another pod, but yeah, yeah, no, it, it's, it's a hundred percent positive role and, it, and it's, it's moving the sport in a, in a positive direction. That's a hundred percent agreement with that. Last thing then we'll go. Um, we touched on them a little bit, but I think we need to, we need to have the conversation. Is it time to tell your children about West Virginia college football playoff contender? Yes. Uh, yes. I think they got the talent to do it. The schedule is tough in November. Um, at TC, TCU at home, Oklahoma probably twice. Yeah, that's not pretty. Oklahoma State as well. Um, it, it's it's going to be a tough hill to climb there towards the end of the season for the Nears, but they can do it. They can outscore just about anybody in the country. They're the Rams of, of college football. But, yeah. Uh, I mean, their that, defense is fine. Like, their defense is not bad. That's another. That's another. That's another point that I was going to bring up. This is the one of the better defenses that they've had uh, at at West Virginia. Uh, that that front seven with the transfers coming in ended up turning out to be a big deal, as Tennessee found out week one could could not control the line of scrimmage, and they, they're racking up tackles for loss. That that's that's something that that uh, a, a Big Twelve defense normally doesn't do a whole lot of. And yeah, that, that that defense is going to keep them in some uh, or uh, keep some keep some offenses down in the in the Big Twelve while they're while that while they're just going to continue to shell out points and Will Greer is going to throw for five hundred yards a game and it's going to be it's going to be pure madness on that side of the ball. Yes, they have a yes, they absolutely have a shot, but the schedule doesn't look pretty, especially when you compare it to to a um, like a Clemson per se, where it's it's a heck of a lot a lot a lot lighter than, than what the, what the Mountaineers have to get through. Yeah. I, um, 
So I went back through. I mean, we know that Urban Meyer is like 48 and three in Big Ten games over the last like five years. Mm-hmm. And Lincoln Riley and Stoops combined Big t- Big 12 record over the last like six or seven years. Mm-hmm. Just as insane. So I've just kind of backed off the whole idea of like, oh, you know, maybe this is what's for easier. It's like, oh my God, what am I doing? Kyler Murray <laughs> and Lincoln Riley are still, they're just there. Oklahoma's just going to win. And they have to, like, the idea that West Virginia is going to beat them twice? No way. Yeah, like, no way. The best you can hope. Why are they, like, the Big 12 championship game is just, I, I think the Big 12 was like, you know what? We, we're good not being in the playoff ever again. Big I think that's cash, what their homie. goal was. Big, yeah. <laughs> yeah, give it, get, it's, all about the, it's all about the Benjamins with that one. And, yeah. If yeah, you're going to do it, make sure you split up these divisions where these teams don't have to play each other twice in the same year. Like, that's the other thing. It's like, what yep. are you doing? Why, yep. are, like, why are you making Oklahoma have to play, like, Oklahoma State maybe twice in a row? Or, like, if you want someone not Oklahoma, like, do you, you really want Texas-Oklahoma in a Big 12 championship game in 2019? Like, back-to-back? Yes. Back? I don't want that. Okay. Uh, Texas-Oklahoma Big 12 championship would be awesome, actually. That would be so fun. Okay. That's like the only game. I, I, I love that. I love the, the Red River shootout, at a.k.a. rivalry, I guess. Um, Maybe I'm just bitter because of what happened with Auburn last year where they beat down Georgia in the regular season and mm-hmm. they were gifted the opportunity to play them again with a hurt carry-on Johnson. And mm-hmm. then that's why they didn't get in the playoff. Like, that kind of stuff is just... Uh, I, oh, uh, I, I, think it, I think it's a terrible setup. I, I think it's an absolutely terrible setup that you don't want to, to, to put yourself through that to, to play a team twice. It's the, the, the old... The old saying goes, it's 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 tough enough to be a team one, um, and yeah, I, I would think you're a little little jaded from that from last year. I would be too. You know, that's, the last that's, four games for West Virginia is just brutal. At Texas, TCU at home, at Oklahoma State, and then Oklahoma at home. And then if they beat hmm. Oklahoma because that's the last game on their calendar, and they get to play them again for whatever reason. Yeah, um, need to bring back the pick game. Like I don't like that they stopped that rivalry years ago. They don't even play Marshall anymore. Yeah, and that those those rivalries mean something in that area of the country. A, a big big bit. The the, the backyard brawl is, is a fun one. That it's classic games. Obviously, that going back to that what was that the 2007 year again? That was that pit team that knocked him out right that year. A bad pit mm-hmm. team knocked knocked West Virginia out in the backyard brawl, and that might be one of the last. The pit, games. Wait, a bad pit team? That doesn't sound familiar. Can you no. refresh my memory on what a bad pit team looks like? Uh, this year, yeah, this year. Oh, right. uh, and last year, and every and other year, year, and, and every other somehow year. beating like a top five team and ruining their season. But they pump out talent. They pump out talent left and right. They always have one player. They they have some dudes, yeah. and they put them. They put some dudes in the NFL recently, and it and it's kind of James Connor, Dion Lewis. I mean, they have guys. Yeah, yeah, they've had guys. They've had guys, but yeah, not not good teams uh, for sure. But Nathan Peterman. <laughs> yeah, the tr- Tennessee transfer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Tom Savage. Tom Savage. Yeah. Great stuff. Oh, great stuff. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I, I just mean, think they should bring back that game. At least get one or the other. Marshall or Pittsburgh needs to be on that uh, calendar once a year. I, I don't understand how that, both got removed. That would lighten up the load on the back end of the schedule at least. Rivalry week would be a heck of a lot easier if you're, if you're playing one of those teams right now. It's oh. like literally if West Virginia is uh, like one loss or they. Like they beat Oklahoma, they literally have to play them again right after that because that's just the way the season's going to go. Is that Oklahoma is definitely going to be in the title game, and if that's the case, and West Virginia beats them that last week, they have to then go and beat them again the following week. 
Behind the next challenge, behind door number three is the same team you just played. Good luck. Yeah. Right. That, that's tough. That's tough. That's a tough draw. And yeah, the big 12. We're with you, Mountaineer fans. We understand. This is that's not right. fair. A hundred percent. hundred ten percent. I agree. But they got, they got the offense to do it and the defense is better. It has in years. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to ride them off. That's for sure. Yeah. All right, Sully. Another one down. Another one down. That was really fun again. That was that was a really good time. Let's uh let's see if Tennessee can pull off the win. Oh wait. <laughs> Luckily we got the old bye. What do you think Jeremy Pruitt does during a bye week? He seems too fired up to just be like I, I don't he's, know, I wonder what he's he on gets. the road. He's on the road. Okay. He's recruiting. Yeah, he's he's talking to there kids. You know. He'll he'll whip out a helicopter probably on Friday and catch multiple games and pull pull that move. I would wouldn't shock me. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's true. Um, or you could practice uh, kicking whiteboards. You never know. Eat mm-hmm. asparagus. All yeah, kinds of options. Yep, yep. I, <laughs> you know he's got to run across asparagus on one of these recruiting trips, right? And just chuckle to himself. Like at one point, I did not know what that is, and now everybody knows that I don't know. Didn't know what that was. Like, like, oh my goodness, it's got it's got to be a funny situation. <laughs> I don't know if he finds the humor in it. He seems like a guy who may not find the humor in it. Yeah, probably not. No, nah, you're right. That that, that guy's pop ball. <laughs> ball. Yeah, I just feel like that's one of those things where like Lane Kiffin, once he's the head coach at Auburn in twenty twenty one, um, his post game will be like, Yeah, or pre game press conference before the Tennessee game will be like, Oh, you think I'm worried about the asparagus guy? Not a chance. <laughs> not a He'll chance. A to, yeah. <laughs> that that'll be that'll be a dagger. That'll be a dagger Lane Kiffin would absolutely use if he comes back to the SEC, hundred percent. And I hope he does. I love Lane. I love Lane. That that dude is good for college football. Great on Twitter, and would be even better if back in the SEC. Joey Freshwater. Mm-hmm. He needs to come back from mm-hmm. Saltwater. Yep, it's time. It's it's mm-hmm. Freshwater time. Do you know that story? Yes. Oh yeah, I know the Joey Freshwater story. Hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. Oh, if yeah. But now, not, if you're listening to this and you have no idea what that is, um, go ahead and uh, Google the Joey Freshwater story well, because now that, Kiffin now, is a legend, and he must be protected. Hundred percent. Well, now that he's in Boca, it's Joey Saltwater. But he, right. when I was when I was down down in Tuscaloosa at one point, he the 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 name tags Joey Joey Freshwater were everywhere. Like students were wearing them, like "Hello, my name is," and then Joey Freshwater was printed on it. The height that's of incredible. Kiff and Love down in T Town. Yeah, that's yeah. That, he's the man. He's the man, and he needs to come back to SEC country. I agree with that. Yeah, he's got to wait for the right job. You know. Mm-hmm. Maybe Auburn. And I think Maybe it's Auburn. Auburn. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it would be thinking? nice to have an offense that is fun to watch again. Yeah, man, alive. Could you imagine if he was still a Tua? Man, that'd be a video game. Yeah, it's uh, it's great. I mean, Jalen probably wishes he was back because that was Jalen's guy. Like that was his that's man. the guy who made Jalen twenty-eight and two or whatever it was as a starter. Right. So maybe Jalen's the one who's just like, uh, you know what? It would have been nice if uh, Lane stayed because he was a believer in me. Mm-hmm. Um. Maybe that's where he transfers. Maybe Jalen Hurts is in Boca Raton and they go like 12-0 and 0 next year. And then he takes the Auburn job. I see it. There you go. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love where we're going with this. Sully, you're back on next week. I was having my doubts, but you swayed me to allow you back another week. I love it. I love fantasy it. Fantasy booking is great. I love it. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd, love, I'd love to be back on. I, it's, it's always a pleasure talking ball with you, man. All right, man. We will talk again next week. Sounds good, man. We'll talk soon.
Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.